Testing. Testing. Alrighty, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah, salatu wassalamu ala Rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa ala. First thing is first. Has anyone, everyone seen this? You have. <laughs> Has everyone seen this before? Look how gorgeous the ticket is. Like you would want to frame the ticket. Huh? You're at a point that you don't need tickets anymore. She just walks in. I'm Salama. Like you, you would want just to have the ticket and like put it somewhere on your house because the ticket is so pretty. Yeah, we'll give you some. We'll give you some. So we're giving uh, ISCJ because they have they're so good to me. We're giving them ten complimentary tickets because alhamdulillah, when we do something, we sell out right away. We covered our costs, right? So now we can start being nice to people. So uh, anyone who wants some, see Christina. Or see me, because I got the tickets right here. But we can give them to Shehnaz. Where's Shehnaz? You see her? She's taking a, she's taking a half day? Okay. All right. All Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala ala sahbihi wa We stopped at, uh, basically the uh, theme of this halakha is basically, we're just reading from this book. Because actually reading about Sayyidur Kaunayn, the word Sayyidu Kaunin means the chief of the two cones, this life and the next. The cone is like a universe almost, right? This life and the next. Sayyidul Kaunin. Because he is, you could be a chief in the next life, but you're not known in this life, right? And you could be the opposite. You could be a chief in this life, and you're not in the next life. Well, the Prophet and his sunnah, leads to success in this life and the afterlife. Like, who's a prophet who's following his, if you followed his path properly, you would be unknown or you would be defeated in this life, but you will be successful in the next life? Prophet Isa bin Maryam, right? If you followed him the first time he came, you would would have ended up being, okay, not uh, successful in this life, Poor. You would end up being poor, right, in this life, but you will be successful in the next life. Now, when he comes back, then he fulfills the Sunnah of the Prophet. Sunnah of the Prophet will lead a person to be successful in this life and successful in the next life. So that's why he's called Sayyidul Kaunain. And anything, any subject revolving around Sayyidul Kaunain is actually, or historically, has always been and considered Shifa. It's like a type of healing, right? It's like a type of healing. It heals people uh, who have from sicknesses. When many of the muhaddithin were sick, what did they do? They would ask for the book of Shifa of Qadi Ayyad or Shema'il of Tirmidhi just to be read aloud, right? Just to be read aloud. And when your mind wanders off thinking about the Prophet Sallallahu uh, if the heart becomes cured, the body gets better, right? Without uh, diminishing the requirement and sunnah to seek regular medical help or um, professional help. So now we're on the nursemaids and the wet nurses. Okay. I beg your pardon. Page 7. Okay. The first woman to suckle Sayyidul Kaunayn sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was his mother, Amina al-Zuhriya. Okay. Amina al-Zuhriya. 
uh, the nephew, who is the nephew of Sayyidah Amina, the mother of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi ibn Abi Waqqas. Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas is the nephew of Sayyidah Amina. Of course, everyone knows Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas. He's one of the chiefs. He's a young cousin of the Prophet, much young, like a little older than Sayyidina Ali ibn Abi Talib. Okay. Uh, very strong, very proud man. Okay. Um, that's Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas. He's a very proud man. Okay. And very strong. And he is the first fighter for the Prophet. Now, now here's another question. You say Sayyida Amina al Zuhriya, but she wasn't a Muslim. So how is we saying we honoring her by saying Sayyida Amina and his father Abdullah? Okay, because we don't say that the mother and the father of the Prophet they're not mushriks. Okay, they're not mushriks because the Prophet said they were from the Hanifs. In other words, they were people who didn't worship idols, even though they didn't have a revealed religion to follow. In the sense that the Prophet said. I was cho- chosen from the best of the best of the best, right? So every time, from the time of Adam, السلام, when the, the sons split, he came to the best one, okay? And then when that, those sons split, he was in the best one, okay? All the way until uh, his birth. So how could it be that these are the best ones, right? Some of our mushriks, right? So we don't believe that. And uh, when the Prophet that there's another hadith, a man came to ask the Prophet okay, he was very upset, and he said, is my father in hell, right, is my father in hell, and the Prophet and he said, my father, he was a mushrik, the father of the Prophet knew he was a mushrik, he was an enemy of Islam, okay, so the Prophet he's not going to change theology to make people feel better, but he's not going to be harsh either, in the expression, so this is where the messaging is very important. Messaging meaning like the style, the way in which you say something harsh. How do you give bad news to people, right? How do you give bad news to people? This is a very important sunnah of the Prophet that he knew how to give bad news to people. He didn't say, yes, they're in the fire, they're mushriks, so what do you expect? Okay. So how did, he, how did he put this to them, to this man? This is a lesson to us. The Prophet said, Ebi... Okay? My ab and your ab are in the fire. Okay? Why? Number one, he's got to, we have to have a line. There are lines. Everything has rules and limits, right? There are realities. The Prophet doesn't lie just to make people feel better. Okay? He doesn't lie just to make people feel And there's a thing, people have this notion, this imagination that God is meant just to make you feel good. That this is what the purpose of God. Why? Because his mom treated him that way, his grandma treated him that way, his teachers treated him that way, there's no, there's the only mission is to make you feel okay, make you feel good. Even uh, in the schools, right? Everything has an award. Existence award. This is the next one that they just, they have to have. The existence award. Just because you exist, you deserve an award, right? Well, when are you going to learn? How are they going to learn that there's actual a reality beyond myself? There's something more important than me. Even some schools, they canceled the honor roll. I hope we did it. The honor roll was canceled. The honor roll means you got an 80 or 82 or something and above. Okay, A very simple, objective thing. Objective. That means you answered 80% of the answers right. 
Okay? And your friend didn't. So you should get an award. They're even, all across America, they're canceling the honor roll. Okay? So that means what? Everyone's dishonored? Right? Just because people's feelings are going to be hurt. Do you know that the most important thing in life is to hurt people's, is, is, to, is to be able to live through hurt feelings? Because life is how you're going to have hurt feelings. The same kids, these are the same kids that commit suicide, like if their girlfriend uh, dumps them or something. Why? Because they've never been scratched ever before. If you get a very expensive watch, right, if that thing gets scratched, the watch is done. You got to go repair it and spend $300, right? If you got one of these serious watches, okay, well, we got now people who are like that. If you just touch the kid, therapy, right away. He's untouchable, okay? No, do people have to learn there's winners and losers. So the Prophet ﷺ, he didn't tell him a lie just to make him feel good. But he said, my, I'm in the same, he shared the situation with him. Instead of saying, yeah, your father's in hell, right? No, he said, my ub and your ub is in the fire. And what is the meaning of ub? In Arabic language, we get this from Surah Al-Baqarah. Okay, Prophet Ishaq, uh, or sorry, Yaqub. Prophet Yaqub asks his sons, gathers his sons, and he says, "Ma min badi? Who will you worship after me?" Okay, he, they said, the boys said, "Qalu, na'budu ilahak. We worship your God, wa ilaha abaik, and the." God of your fathers. Now, who does he say? Ibrahim, Ismail, or Ishaq. Ibrahim, Ismail, and Ishaq, how do they relate to Yaqub, Jacob? They relate to him that that's the father. Isaac is his father. Ishaq is his father. Ismail is his uncle. And Ibrahim is his grandfather. So what does the word up mean in Arabic? It applies to all of your grandfathers up, your biological father, and your uncle's, and anyone who raised you is your ab. We have in Arabic the word walid, and walida applies to the biological father only. Okay? The biological only. So that's walid and walida. But the word ab and the word um are very general. Okay? They're very general. And so when the Prophet says, Abi, he doesn't necessarily mean Abdullah. It's Abu Lahab. It's his uncle. And he's in the fire, right? So the word ab is very general. So when the Prophet says, Abi wa abuka finnar, and then he says, I was born from the best of the best of the best, then how is the best in the fire? So what is real knowledge? Knowledge is actually when you take a hadith or a verse, and then you take the opposite of that hadith and verse and bring the two together and bring out a meaning and figure out the riddle, right? So that's what real knowledge is. Okay, so this is Amin al-Zuhriya, followed by who? Thuwayba. Thuwayba al-Aslamiya is a very important woman, right? Thuwayba. What does the word Thuwayba mean? It means the small reward, okay? Now, we have a hadith in Sahih Bukhari, all right? Okay, hadith in Sahih Bukhari, that Abu Lahab died. Now, Abbas is the brother of Abu Lahab, right? They're brothers. So just because someone became a kafir, doesn't mean that, you know, all the bonds were cut. Abbas was still thinking about Abu Lahab, right? It's like your brother. When he goes to the hellfire, you're going to be thinking about it. So in Bukhari, Abu Lahab says uh, that 
uh, sorry, Abbas says that he saw Abu Lahab in a dream. Okay? And he said to him, and uh, he said to him, Oh, Abu Lahab, what did Allah do to, you, do to you because of what you did to our nephew? Right? Abu Lahab said, I am in the worst of punishment. But every Monday, every Monday, the punishment is decreased and I'm given a small sip of water, of cool water. Okay? So Abbas says, why? For what? He says, because when it was announced that Muhammad was born, I was so happy for him, all right, that I freed Thuwaiba. I freed the slave girl Thuwaiba, just out of happiness for the Prophet, for Muhammad. He didn't know it was a Prophet or anything. Just for the person of Muhammad. And for that, Allah Azza wa Jal, because the Prophet was born on a Monday, every Monday in hell, Abu Lahab gets a small sip of water. Where is this hadith? Sahih Bukhari itself. All right, with a full, complete Sahih chain. So let's see here what he says. Thuwaiba was Abu Lahab's slave, whom he set free when she brought to him the good news of the Messenger's birth, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Subsequently, Allah alleviated his punishment in the hellfire because of his happiness with his birth, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, as related in Bukhari with a mursal hadith. What does the word mursal mean? Mursal means a complete chain back to, to uh, all the way to the top. Okay, this is, uh, oh, sorry, mursal, that's uh, marfu. Uh, mursal means stopping at a sahabi. Okay, Mursal means it stops at, I mean the Prophet is not speaking, but a Sahabi is speaking. It is further narrated that Abu Lahab was seen after his death in a dream in which he mentioned that his punishment is lessened every Monday because he freed Thuwaiba out of joy with the Messenger of Allah's birth, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So the, any happiness connected to the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, will earn a person a, a reward because this is the worst enemy of Islam. But Allah Azza wa Jal says, I have prohibited oppression. So if Allah created everyone, what is justice and what is oppression for Allah? Allah says, justice and oppression for Him is that nobody will do a wrong action except that they will find some uh, recompense against that. Or not recompense, but punishment in this life or the next. And nobody will do a good action except that they will be rewarded in this life or the next. Even if it is the worst of kuffar and munafiq, if he does a good action, he will get his reward in this life uh, uh, and not the next. And the believer may get his reward in this life and the next. And the Prophet ﷺ said, even a sheep or a ram okay, that has two horns, that finds on the mountain another ram that has one horn broken, and then he butts the one-horned ram and hurts the one-horned ram, then on the Day of Judgment, Allah Azza wa Jal will bring back both of these rams and swap their situation and allow the two-horned ram to hit the one-horned ram. Even animals, like animals, will seek... And animals, these animals don't have any intellect. They don't have a concept. And they're not doing wrong on purpose. This is their instinct. If a dog takes, uh, steals a piece of meat from your table, you can't punish the dog, right? He's not morally, you can train him, but he's not morally accountable. Sharia doesn't apply to animals, okay? So, uh, so even animals. So imagine now a human who harms an animal, right? Imagine a human who harms an animal. 
And now imagine if Abu Lahab is getting rewarded and he is the worst of kuffar, right? And he didn't even know Muhammad is a prophet of Allah, just Muhammad the person. Imagine now a believer, right, who has happiness towards the Prophet ﷺ and really our, our deen, the summary of Ahl sunnah wal Jama'ah, when they really wanted to summarize what the whole religion is, they really summarized it as love of the Prophet, peace be upon him. Right? They didn't even summarize it as love of Allah because love of Allah is shared by Jews and Christians and, and other people, right? But how do we want how does Allah want to be worshipped? That's the question. Not worship is not what we want to do, right? Worship is not what makes us feel good or what we think is right. Worship is what Allah how Allah wants to be worshipped. Alright? Go take a married man. Okay? Ask him, what does your wife want? You don't decide what she wants. Okay? She decides what she wants. You don't say, I'm going to buy her a gift, right, for her anniversary, okay, two Giants tickets, right? Or I'm going to get you season tickets, okay? (laughs) She doesn't want season tickets. And then you tell her, box seats. She doesn't care less about these box seats, okay? She couldn't care less about these box seats. She wants something totally to you is useless, right? All right. To you, it's useless, but to her, it's meaningful. Right? To her, it's meaningful. So you don't choose. So if you can understand that example, then you got to understand this too. Yeah, you have bosses, right? If they tell you, "I want you to do this," you can't do it your way. You got to do it the way they want it done. Okay. So just as you, we all understand all these concepts, Allah Azza wa Jalla, we have to worry how He wants to be worshipped, not the way we want to do it. Okay. Talked the other day with someone, he says, Wallahi, it doesn't, sit, it doesn't sit right with me and it doesn't satisfy me, okay? And I'm looking like the methodology of how to worship God and, and your self-satisfaction doesn't, I'm not, I don't find that anywhere in the book, that you like it, right? Allah says the exact opposite. You might hate a thing, but it's good for you because Allah knows and you don't know, right? It's a very important concept. So we have to get rid of the consumer concept of God, like we're consumers, Like God is a peddler, he's peddling a religion for sale here, right? And we're consumers, and we're going to rate him on like a website or something, right? We're going to give God five stars for this sunnah, right? I mean, some people, they want to give the certain sunnahs five stars, like the nap. Like some people out there, the favorite sunnah is the afternoon nap. They love that sunnah, okay? He didn't even pray Fajr, right? But he takes the afternoon nap and says it's sunnah, okay? SubhanAllah, okay? We, we got uh, people, when I lived in England, there were these guys, it's a big, it was a big fad because the British are so naive, these people are so naive, okay? Uh, they have three, four wives, and they're all on the dole. The dole means unemployment. He's on unemployment. These guys living like kings over there. He's on unemployment. None of his wives are, sh- are, are legal wives. They're sharia wives. She's on unemployment, the second one's on unemployment, the third one and the fourth one are all on unemployment, and unemployment in England is monarchy. You get $1,200, pounds a month and an apartment, and an apartment. So what does this guy do? What does this guy do? Okay. This guy, on top of now 1,200 times 5 is what? We're going to 6,000 pounds a month. I mean, we don't even make $6,000 a month. 6,000 pounds a month. And five apartments. Well, you don't need five apartments, right? Rent them out, okay? (laughs) Rent them out, 
So now he's making money on top of that. I'm telling you, kings, okay, these brothers, they're walking around and then wake up 10, 11 a.m., go down, have lunch, have breakfast, okay, out on, uh, on, there's an Arab road called Edgware Road in London. Go have breakfast there. Take a stroll down two blocks to Baker Street Mosque, pray Dhuhr. Go downstairs, have coffee with his friends who are also doing the same thing, okay? <laughs> also doing the same thing. So some people, they love certain sunnahs. They say, this is, we're living on the sunnah, right? Okay, we're living on the sunnah. This is, the Prophet had multiple wives, so we have multiple wives. Okay, well the sunnahs, what about working? What about being honest? What about not lying? And here's the big problem. Here's a huge problem. Astaghfirullah you know what they call these sisters? They do this? Okay. They call them the holy whores. I'll tell you why. This guy, they're married. Married people have babies. Okay. You're wearing full hijab and abaya. Okay. Full hijab and abaya. You go to the hospital. If she's legally married, she doesn't qualify for unemployment. So she has to be legally unmarried. She's going to the hospital pregnant to have a baby. If she lists the name of the father, that's going to go against his record, right? That's going to be a problem. So who does she list as the father? Unknown. So you're wearing hijab and abaya, father unknown, okay? Because in England, if you have a baby like, this is a, some bizarre law that they have over there. In England, if the father is unknown, the government takes, gives you, you don't have a dad. The kid doesn't have a dad. The government gives you more money. So they keep having more babies. So more women go into the hospitals and what? Okay? Father unknown. Now, the people on the streets, they're not dumb. They know what's going on, right? Everyone knows what's going on. But the British, if you've ever seen them, they're like the snails. Who, who saw that movie with um, zoot, zoo, uh, Zootology? What was it that the school went to, the school trip? Zootopia. Zootopia. Do you see the snails or the sloths in the, uh, who, are, who are working in the, uh, the DMV? There's a, snail, a, a scene with the sloths in the DMV, right? Take forever. The British are like this. The whole country knows what's going on. Their bureaucracy is so official. It takes forever. And then they're also afraid that this is going to have backlash and all that. So everyone knows what's going on. Right? So they nickname these women the holy horse. So they're following these sunnahs, but they're lying on all these things. That's why, Dean, you can't take half of it. Right? You got to take the whole thing. You got to take the whole thing. Okay? If you take half of it, you look funny. It looks wrong. It looks weird. And it's not detestable. If you take a recipe... Huh? Yeah. If you take a recipe, right, and you're really good at putting the salt, but you're not good at putting the olive oil, you ruin the recipe. You got to put the whole thing. Balance is better than being really good at one thing and really bad at something else. Then you look in balance. There's something wrong. Okay? Something wrong. Now, uh, he says, <clears throat> Ibn Menda, Ibn Menda, who is a Hadith scholar from Isfahan. Where is Isfahan? It's in Iran. Of course, the Persians, the Iranians, who are now Shia, uh, the Persian Shia, uh, they used to be Sunnis, and they only became Shia because of Shah Ismail about 400 years ago, okay? Because he was a prince, 
and it's a Sunni country. Okay, the original, the, the, the empire was a Sunni empire, and he was the son, he was the prince, he was a wayward guy, but a very charismatic Shi'i preacher, right, caught, got his heart. And then he became like a, almost like a rat, not like a radical Shia, almost. Then he became the king, and then he forced everyone to be Shi'i, and he shut down the masajid, fired the imams, and put in Shi'is, and so Iran since then became Shi'i. But if, so most of the a lot of scholars come from Iran uh, area, like Abu Hamd Ghazali. Where's Ghazali from? He's like from like a uh, suburb of what's now Tehran. That's where Ghazali is from, right? So Ibn Menda was from Isfahan, and he considered Thuwaiba the slave of uh, or the servant girl, uh, or she was a slave of uh, Abu Lahab that he freed. She considered he considered her a Sahabiyah that she became Muslim. Okay, but other scholars said no. There's not enough record to say that she actually became Muslim. Okay, Thuwayba used to visit the Prophet after he married Khadija, and he would give her much respect, as would Khadija, because it's almost like uh, a mother figure to him. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He continued to send her clothes and gifts after migrating to Medina until she passed away, which is why they say that she must have become a Muslim. Right. Thereafter, the third person to nurse the Prophet ﷺ was Halima bint Abi Dhu'ayb. Dhu'ayb, what is a Dhu'ayb? A wolf. So Dhu'ayb is a small wolf. Okay. Anything that you add an A-Y before the last consonant, this is what makes something small. Like Thu'ab, Thu'ayb. Right? Dhu'ayb, Dhu'ayb. Alim, Uwaylim. Like that. If you stick anything and any, basically fatha and ya before the last consonant of a word in Arabic, it makes it diminutive, which means a small version. So Halima bin Tudu'ayb as Sadiya, she suckled him. Okay, uh, okay, she suckled him from her son, from the pregnancy of her other son. Okay, uh, the brother of An Anisa and Ashema. So the Prophet Sallallahu he had um, birth, he had uh, wet nursing siblings. So in Sharia, you, you have siblings and you have siblings from wet nursing and this pro- prohibited to marry from these categories. It's prohibited. Okay. Now, obviously most people are going to say, well, it's obviously because of genetic defects, right? Because what, is, what are your genes like? Imagine there's a graph these are the, the, your, your qualities, your features, like hearing, sight, right, uh, whatever. Hearing, sight, whatever your things. And this is your, the quality of the genes. So if you, all, if you have very good sight runs in your family, that's good. But if you have very bad hearing, that's no good. So if a brother and sister of the same genetics, if they marry, they both have bad hearing, right, now, their kids, it's going to be amplified, right? So they're going to have really bad hearing. So that's why it's almost guaranteed if there's an incestuous relationship, okay, the child, whatever bad, like poor genetics that family has, right, the ch- child is going to have it really bad, almost like guaranteed. That's why it's very good to mix, right, to marry from, away from your family, right, to marry people who have genetics far away that are very different from yours. So they complement each other. You've got a balanced person. But merely the issue of genetics is not 
the only, is not a reason. The reason is because Allah Azza wa Jal told us so. What's the proof of this? Because if it was only genetics, then the Sharia would have prohibited two blind people to marry, two deaf people to marry, two handicapped people to marry. Okay, but Sharia doesn't prohibit that. Sharia allows that. If two blind people are allowed to marry in Sharia, you're almost guaranteed the ch- children will probably have issues in their eyesight, especially if they they were blind from birth. Okay. So it's not just that. Why do we have to even talk about this? And this is for the youth out there that are going to listen to it. I guarantee you, if you're just paying attention, they're going to try to push on you incest and incestuous relationships. They're now calling it genetic sexual attraction, GSA. Okay? Genetic sexual attraction. They're trying to change the name. Everyone, no one wants incest, but... What they're also saying is that it's not your choice. It's something that's inside of me, right? Genetic sexual attraction. Just mark my word, this is the next thing. Keep your eye out for it, uh, that they're going to manufacture the consent. And there is literally no secular argument against it. There's no secular argument against it. You say genetic defects, the argument back is, all right, two deaf people shouldn't marry either, right? Two blind people shouldn't marry either. Two people with uh, whatever disease... Okay, with diabetes shouldn't marry either, right? All, what, how, where do you stop it? Okay, so this is all over the papers. If you're just uh, uh, keep your eye out, this is what's the, what they're going to spread these days. So, but in Sharia, we are not allowed to marry the children who drank the same breast milk that we drank within uh, the first two years of life. So the milk that someone drinks from a woman in the first two years of life, okay, and there's discussion about the age, but a lot of the jumhur they put it at two years. That milk really has a great impact on the, the structure of the person. So if someone else drank that milk, you're not allowed to marry that person. And you can see them without hijab. You're exactly like brother and sister, except in one thing, which is inheritance. Right? Inheritance is the only thing. So... Uh, Anisa and Ashima, they were like sisters to the Prophet. That means he can see them without hijab, he could you know, be together in a room with them. Exactly. So, if you're going to have a foster child, how do you do it? You could do it. If you want to adopt a child in Islam, there is adoption. Some people say there's no adoption. No, there's no adoption of Jahiliyyah, which means you consider them a biological son, but you can adopt someone. Of course, you can adopt someone. But that person must know who his father is and know who his mother is. That's the difference. And he must keep his father's name. That's the difference. That's all it is. And in terms of inheritance, right, he will take something from you, right? He will take. Prophet Sallallahu said, uh, and, and, and in our books of fiqh, that someone lives with you. You've got to give them something from the third, right? You've got to give them something. You can't just, someone can't be living with you like an adopted son, right, or a daughter, Okay. And then living with you for 30 years, and then your sons inherit, and he gets, gets nothing. No, he's going to get something, but he's going to get it from the third. Okay, Which in Sharia, when you die, one-third of your wealth, you can give it to any non-inheritor. You can give it to charity, you can give it to your best friend, you can give it to anyone outside the inheritors. So he's outside the inheritors, or she, you can give it to them, right? a share. Or you have a servant, right, who lives their whole life with you. Back then, of course, people had servants, right? They were going to get something, too. So, uh, in this sense, 
the the wet nursing. So foster child, how would you do it? If your sister is having a baby, for example, then you adopt, okay? And then she would nurse, she would have some of, or that child would intake some of that milk, okay? And as soon as he takes, if it's a boy, he becomes like your nephew, right? Becomes like your nephew. So he can see you without hijab like normal, even when he grows up, okay? Still becomes a problem for your sister, for your daughters though, because cousins, obviously, they're not. Now, in Catholicism and Judaism, you're not allowed to marry your cousin. I don't know about Judaism. Actually, in Catholicism, you're not allowed to marry your cousin. But in uh, Sharia, you are allowed to marry your cousin. The Prophet ﷺ married his cousin, Zainab bint Jash. So now, um, she took him with her to her land beyond the Ta'if amongst the Beni Sa'd. A Ta'if is the twin city to Mecca, rival city, inferior city, but it's the number two. It's the number two. Like Boston, always trying to be in the conversation with New York, right? We know they're far off, right? But they're trying to sneak it in. And they say, we have the history and all that stuff, okay? We got the history. We were the first capital and all that stuff. So Ta'if is always trying to copy New York or, or be just like Mecca, okay? So that's the city of Ta'if. That's why right after the Prophet conquered Mecca, where did he go? Ta'if, okay? Went to Taif, and there uh, the and the Beni Sad was living near Taif, and there he stayed with her amongst them for four years. Okay, by suckling him, she gained much good, and they became wealthy. So the there was a drought, and the city Arabs had a relationship with the Bedouins. So the city Mecca was considered a city, right? Settled, they were settled, and then you had these Bedouin. Right, no poor people. Right, they didn't trade. They didn't have anything, so they would go in order to get or build a relationship. The women would go, and every time she has a baby, she'd go to Mecca. Okay, and she would take a baby, take him back. And there's another reason they did this is that, as you know, Mecca's between two mountains, so the air in Mecca is stifled, and it's a dust bowl. It's like a dust bowl. Whenever you have two mountains, it creates a dust bowl. This is why uh, Ahlul Mecca, people of Mecca, it's an irritable climate. And if you ever notice the Meccan people from the time of the Prophet until now, their nature is to be highly irritable, right? And uh, it's the exact opposite of Medina, right? So if you ever interact with Meccan people, you'll notice there is a gruffness. We might not notice, as we're already from the tri-state, is actually one of the gruffest areas, right, <laughs> uh, in, the, in the globe. If you, if you uh, go to Vir West Virginia or something on a business trip or to visit family or rent a car and you drive in these areas, people will look at you and you don't know what's going on, right? But the way we drive, the way we have to find parking, the way the weather is stormy here, right? The weather is unpredictable. It roughens the edges of people in the tri-state is rough around the edges, right? So sometimes we don't really notice that, especially if you're born here and raised here. But when you go to middle America, Kentucky, or even go to California, it's very noticeable, okay? And I think, in, our, in my opinion, we have an edge, an advantage, okay? We have an advantage because you go to any of these places, you're going to steamroll everyone in the industry, right? Because we're more direct, we're more resilient. We have a lot of attributes that these people don't have. Okay, So in Mecca, they're the same way. 
And they want, they like to send their babies, their children out to the countryside. Out to the countryside where they could breathe some clean air and they could learn the unadulterated language of the Arabs and they could run around and roam around and stuff like this. Okay? So, and in exchange, when there was a time of difficulty, these people, now they have a relationship. So they would send a message and say, you know, we're in a time of difficulty, and that family would send them some money, okay? And I think, I wish that, and we try to do this at MBIC, and a lot of families are doing it, is that each family has something of a relationship with a poor family, right? And they transfer 50 bucks a month, 75 bucks a month. Anyone who's ever been in a situation, you know 50 bucks a month is meaningful, Right? 50 bucks a month is not, not uh, nothing, okay? It's some people, it's a big deal, right? That's gas for the month because they're not driving like a... They're driving a little Nissan that fills for 20 bucks. So how many times are you going to fill gas, right? 22, three times. Uh, not Honda. <laughs> Honda's even better, right? By the way, Honda's great on gas. Okay. In fact, this halakha is brought to you by Honda. Okay. <laughs> Everything is sponsored these days, right? <laughs> okay. So they, uh, it's a big deal. And you just put it in your automatic banking so you don't, for, you don't have to think about it after that. And it's a big sadaqah and it's a beautiful relationship. And it's actually a proof of Islam to me that we are capable of breaking the class barriers that are, exist in every other society. Every other community, in the synagogues, in the churches, okay? Amongst every other community, there, there is a serious class barrier, right? I think the only other people who are able to break that down, maybe the Catholics, right? A little bit. Um, but there's a serious class barrier. And we must break that down as we must break down the race barrier and these other, it doesn't mean it's not going to exist. There's always going to be poor and rich. There's always going to be franchise and disenfranchise. But at least there should be links between the two. And there's no harm and no embarrassment, right, to be, uh, you know, receiving help from each other. This is what the Prophet said. People are by people, and everyone relies on Allah. Okay? So this was the reason that the Arabs used to send children out. Okay? So the, and Halima, she came in a time of drought. She came in a time of drought. And she came in a season, usually like in the spring, the women would come. And every woman would get a baby, okay, and they would go back. You would try to get a baby from a rich family, okay. Now, at this time, the family of the Prophet ﷺ had fallen on hard times. They were not rich anymore, okay. They had not become rich anymore. And this is one of the sunnahs of Allah Azza wa Jal, is that in order to make his prophet balanced, he used to, Allah used to make all of his prophets to be from the elite class, but from the poorest family of the elites. Right? The poorest of the elites. So that means whenever that prophet leaves his city, he's looked up to by everyone else. Right? Everyone else looks up to him because he's from the elite class. But within the city or within the tribe, he's from the poorest tribe, uh, or branch of the tribe. So he's looked down on by them, 
So he knows what it feels like, the bitterness of being looked down on, right? The bit, like a poorest American, if he goes to Canada, he's making fun of the Canadians, right? Because Americans, that's how they're confident. You're American. The poorest of American will go out to, let's say, uh, whatever country he's from and walk around like a king. Just that he's American. They don't know that he's barely getting by in America, right? So it's the same dynamic. So Halima couldn't find anyone. No, she, every time she would go, there was no baby for her. She just couldn't get a baby. Until finally, she and it didn't have anything, so she just went to the poor orphan of Beni Hashem, and she says, I'll just take it. Right? There, she knows there's no incentive. There's no financial incentive. This is another sunnah of Allah Azza wa Jal. Allah Azza wa Jal loves. If He wants you to do something for His sake, he removes the financial incentive. Once you put a financial incentive, it doesn't mean that you're not going to get rewarded. And it doesn't mean it's not for Allah's sake, but it's a little less. So there's no financial incentive. She knows she's not getting anything. So she took him just for the, out of the goodness of her heart. Okay? And it, there was such a drought that uh, Halima's donkey was so slow. He was emaciated and tired. Okay, but on the way back, just the Prophet ﷺ, he has a barakah to him that she was carrying the Prophet ﷺ. Her donkey was racing in front of everyone else, galloping, okay, and filled with energy, okay. And we believe in these things, Yani. If you have a Prophet, you're on your back as an animal, there's going to be a difference, okay. So, this is what happened, okay. And then they said their, their family became very rich, Yani. The, all of a sudden, the sheep are doing well, the lambs are doing good, they're producing more sheep, and, and, and they're doing good. So um, the family of Halima became very wealthy, so she knew there was something unique about this child. Okay? Now, Ashayma, who was the daughter of Halima, would, together with her mother, look after the young baby, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Halima returned back to his mother, though, Earlier than expected, because of the incident wherein the chest of the Prophet ﷺ was opened by the angels. Okay, this occurred when he was about four or five years old. Okay, so she did not see him after that except twice. Okay, once after he married Khadija, when she came complaining to him of a, of another drought that came to them, and so Lady Khadija gave her twenty sheep and other gifts, and the second time. Uh, was on the battle of Hunayn. This is Shayma, Shayma, the daughter of Halima and the wet nursing sister of the Prophet. Now, uh, another fourth woman who took the Prophet into her care was Um Ayman Baraka al Habashiyah. Okay? Um Ayman Baraka. And so now c contemplate the names, the noble names of these women Amina, the trustworthy. Okay? Thuwayba, the small reward. Halima, the slow to anger. Clement. And then Baraka, increase. What does the word Baraka mean? Baraka means increase. Increase. So Baraka means if I have a plate of food that I think will only one person can eat it. Right? If there's Baraka in the food, then maybe two people can eat it. If there's a lot of Baraka, then four people can eat it. That's what Baraka means. So Baraka in wealth. What does Baraka in wealth mean? That means I got, 
I, I earned a small amount of money, but I really worked for it and it was halal money. Now I'm going to go to the store and what, I'm, what I, I needed to buy for $100, all of a sudden I see it on clearance for $20, right? So I'm able to buy all of my groceries and more for that small amount of money. That's an example of when barakah is in. Now what about nahs, bad luck? Nahs is like bad luck. There is wealth that is dirty. There's dirty wealth, right? Wealth could be halal, but it's dirty. How? If you, let's say you're, uh, whatever, you got a store or a shop. Now, you're not responsible to ask every buyer, you know, what's your job? How did you earn your money? So you're going to have people who don't, you know, have lawful income. They're going to buy from you, and that money is going to go in your money, right? So if Allah wants to purify someone's money, or if money is no good, what happens? Okay? Ends up something that was just fine breaks down. Now you got to fix it. One time, I remember one time, I earned about $700, right? $700. And when I uh, dealt, uh, this community that I was dealing with that gave me this, they, uh, subhanAllah, it was all riba. It was all fighting. It was all sectarianism. It was a disaster. Community that was a disaster, right? And the way they were living, it was just... So, as soon as I got that, I had, in one week, two flat tires, broken glasses, right? And you're paying it, the sign that Allah is taking this money because it's dirty, is that you're paying and you're upset while you're paying. Because when you get a flat tire, you're not happy. It's like a waste, that's a waste of money. Like you ran over a nail. That's a waste, right? Okay. Then you do it again. Another flat tire. And then you realize something's funny. Because you don't... When is, the, when is the last time that ever happened? And then your glasses break. All in three days you realize Allah has taken this money away. This money is no good. Right? This money is no good. So, you're, so this is how the different feeling... It should be a feeling that you're upset. And it's useless. It's, a, it's useless money that's being spent... For things that shouldn't, you won't normally happen, and the opposite, money that's blessed, right? Money that's blessed will be money that you know things will start coming to you that you didn't expect. Okay, this is blessed money. Okay, so this is the meaning of baraka. Okay, when we ask Allah Azza wa Jal, uh, so the different there's baraka and there's lana. Lana is the opposite. It's lana means you have so much but it still didn't suffice you, right? You have so much, but you're still leaving unsatisfied, okay? So, some people have a lot of wealth, okay? But they are mal'oon. Why? You have a lot of wealth, but you stepped on so-and-so's toes to get it. You hurt so-and-so to get it. And then some people look on and they say, this guy is such a horrible person, but yet Allah has led him to be so rich. And you start wondering about the scales of Allah's justice. Why is this person so rich, okay, if he is so horrible in the way he treats people and doing so much wrong? Well, the question isn't that. Allah gives people what they want, what they earned. But the question is, is it blessed or is it cursed? Yes, he may have money. You don't know, though, he's miserable in his life. And then some people... They said, I did the right thing, right? And I'm on the losing end of things, right? Yeah, but you're going home. Your kids don't have cancer. None of your kids are blind. 
your wife treats you nicely, okay? You're smiling and laughing, right? Yeah, you didn't, you're not going to a five-star restaurant out to eat, but whatever you have, you're sitting in around a table with your kids, and you're happy, right? So you have baraka. And people don't understand what happiness is at all, right? They don't understand this stuff at all. They don't realize what they have. I had a guy, you know, miskin, right? Miskin. He has a lot. Wife doesn't like him, right? He has a lot. Builds like an empire in his, you know, shops. He has shops after shop after shop. Built an empire, right? But the first minute that I saw the guy, right? First minute that I saw the guy, he's complaining. Seems like my wife doesn't like me anymore, right? She just doesn't love me anymore, right? She doesn't want to talk to me. Something's going on. So this man, he has an empire, but he is a poor man in his house, right? And then you guys got guys who out in the streets, he's, you know, just a common man, poor man. You go home and he's a king. So this is where Baraka comes in, right? So yes, he may have a lot, but the question is, is it blessed or is it cursed? Okay, is it blessed or is it cursed? This is why in the, in the sunnah, we care more about the process of acquisition than acquisition itself. We are people, a deen of the process, not the ends. Okay, like some people say the ends justify the means. No, we say the means, that's it. The means, the process. Okay, the process is what counts. Okay, so Umma Ayman Baraka al-Habashiya, that means that she has roots in East Africa. Who is Baraka going to marry eventually? She's going to marry Zaid bin Haritha. Okay. Who's going to marry uh, Zaid bin Haritha? Okay. And who is their child going to be? Who is Zaid bin Haritha, the adopted son of the Prophet, who used to be Zaid ibn Muhammad, who is the only Sahabi whose name is in the Quran? And why is he the only Sahabi whose name is in the Quran? Right? Like, why not Abu Bakr? Why not Omar? Is Allah giving out these honorific uh, sort of, uh, like these honors, is he giving it out randomly? No. There's always objective. There's always an objective reason that you can understand with your head. The Quran came and he says, People should be named after their father. Okay? And we should all know who are, you know, like we should also teach our sons, like you're, you're, we call you, we might call you like, uh, you know, Abdullah, Quraishi, okay? But you got to know that you're Abdullah, son of, you know, uh, Ahmed, right? Son of Zaid, whatever. That's what your name in the sight of Allah is, son of, son of, son of, right? This last name thing came later, and it's not wrong to have a last name, but you got to know the son of, right? The Ibn and the Bint. So uh, the Quran says, The people must be named after their fathers. So, what happened to Zayd bin Muhammad? It was a very sad day for him. His honor, Zayd bin Muhammad, he had a situation. He was known to be not handsome. You ever see Zayd hadith from Zayd bin Haritha? You hardly see any hadith from Zayd bin Haritha. You hardly see him much in the sirat, right? Why? He was a very muted person. Because he was of such a stature in the society that was not lofty. He was of low, lower status, right? Lower status. So what made him honorable in the sight of the Muslims? That his name was Zayd bin Muhammad. Now this verse comes and he's another normal man. He loses Zayd bin Muhammad and he becomes what? Zayd bin Haritha. 
and he goes down, okay, down again, okay. So he was very sad. So a verse of Quran made him very sad. You think Allah Azza wa Jal is going to leave someone? Allah Azza wa Jal says, "Ala inna awliya Allah la khufun alayhim walahum yahzanun." Allah Azza wa Jal will never leave one of his awliya to be sad. Okay. So Allah Azza wa Jal then made him very happy. As in Surah Al-Ahzab, when Allah says, فَلَمَّا قَضَى مِنْهَا زَيْدٌ وَطَرًا زَوَجْنَاكَهَا In Surah Al-Ahzab, he mentioned Zayd by name. And he is the only Sahabi to be mentioned by name. Okay? That is Zayd bin Haritha. Who is the other uh, believer who is not a prophet that is mentioned by name in the Quran? Anyone have an idea? Not, not, no. Luqman. The only believer who is not a prophet. Luqman was not a prophet. Luqman was from Ethiopia. Okay. And there's like a legend. I don't know how much authenticity it has, but there's always a legend that you'll see in the books of Tafsir that Luqman, Al-Hakim, he was wise, that in the heavens he was offered to be a prophet or to be a wise man. He said, let me take a wise man because if I'm a prophet, I have to live up to it. Right? So let me just take a wise. Allah knows best if that's uh, what the authority of that is, but that's a legend that goes about Luqman, okay, whose name is in the Quran, but he is not a prophet. Okay? So Zayd bin Haritha got that special. And who is their son? So Zayd bin Haritha lives with the prophet. Um Ayman Baraka lives with the prophet. They end up getting married. So the, son, the child of this ma- marriage is going to be like the grandson of the prophet. Okay? Who? Osama bin Zayd. Osama bin Zayd was very close to the Prophet. Zayd bin Haritha, he has another thing that many people don't know. Nobody was given more missions, military missions, than Zayd bin Haritha. Now, why were there so many missions in Medina? Okay, In Medina, they have a city of Islam now. All the tribes around Medina were like wolves. They, they were against Islam. And they were being paid by Quraysh, rewarded to Give cause problems for the Muslims. So what did the Prophet ﷺ do? He would constantly be doing reconnaissance missions, mission to on all directions, military missions. Right? Just like uh, for example, uh, the US will send a big ship on the like the South China Sea, just so North Korea could see it, just so China could see it. There's not gonna be a fight, just to go out. Just that so you see that we're here. It's actually one of the written as a fard. It's a fard. Uh, upon the Sultan back in the day that every spring he must send the troops out in the four cardinal directions so that the enemy can see these troops just like the superpowers do today like you're never going to see Russia sending a military boat uh, and, and hang around Mexico a little bit and go back right you're never going to see it. that's like an act of war that thing will be shot down okay but you see the US sending their navy ships everywhere why just showing the world here we are. Just that's all it is. So that's what Zayd bin Haditha was sent on over 30 missions before Sayyidina Ali was sent on one. That goes to show you. Aisha, Sayyidina Aisha radiallahu anha said, if Zayd bin Haditha was still alive, right, there would be no doubt who is the Khalifa of the Prophet. That's actually how close Zayd was to the Prophet. But he said, she said, my father would not have had uh, been thought about to be the Khalifa if Zayd was alive. Now, when did Zayd die? Very sad battle called the Battle of Mu'tah. Right? It was a battle of Mu'tah in which three 
big Sahaba were killed. Zayd bin Haritha, Jafar, Jafar ibn Abi Talib, and Sayyidina Ali's brother, and then Abdullah, son of Rawah. They were killed in that battle. It was like walking to that battle, they said, was walking towards death because they were going to face a huge enemy that they had to face. And uh, it was a very rough battle, and it was a lot of weeping in Medina afterwards. Okay. Uh, how? What time is Isha? Nine o'clock. All right. So let's stop here, and let's take uh, our Q and A. Anyone who has any comments or questions, we could do that now before Isha. Yep. Yeah, uh, so get them out of that situation. Yeah, so Khalid bin Walid is actually, that was, is basically, he took over afterwards, and that was his debut as a Muslim general. That was the debut of Khalid bin Walid, whom Allah, who the Prophet said is the unsheathed sword. And he was so good that uh, Anshid sword of Allah, uh, he was so good that uh, Sayyidina Omar had to remove him because uh, it was almost like he's too good. The Muslims are just relying that, oh, we got Khalid bin Walid, we don't have to like worry. So he actually removed him. Yeah. yeah. That was the daughter, Shema, is recorded that she visited the Prophet twice after, uh, that, after that. Yeah. Anyone else have anything? For which, oh, uh, uh, yeah, like two deaf, two blind, they they are allowed in Sharia to marry, right? So whether or not that's wise thing, but there's no rule against it, right? But sometimes that's all they could find. Like if someone, two people, let's say like midget, for example, what's the proper word for that? Because you don't ever know any days these days. Dwarfed. Yeah, like, what's the actual name that they would want? How do they refer to themselves? Who? Yeah, like, who is he going to marry, right? So he would have to marry someone else like him, right? So Sharia allows for that. But, you know, so whether it's advised... Suwaiva, Baraka, yeah. Why did he mention that? Why Why would we even talk about that? Just because that's the Prophet anything connected to the Prophet Yeah. The question was like, why would we even discuss that, right? Well, anything connected to the Prophet Like if they did a documentary on, uh, you know, um, I don't know, 
when you do a documentary on like Steve Jobs, right? Right, who the business world, tech world worships, right? You know, you look at, oh, this was the mailbox that Steve Jobs had in front of his house. And I mean, the other day, the chair that AK, or is it AK Rowling or JK Rowling? JK Rowling sat on, right, to write the book, to type out the book, that chair sold for like $400,000. I mean, that's a chair that someone passed gas on. I mean, that's, that's the first thing I'm thinking about, okay? <laughs> and you, I mean, if you, if you bought the computer she wrote it on, that's like understandable. But the chair, right? <laughs> SubhanAllah, right? Yeah. That's true. So to truly show, this is a good point, to truly show that the adopted son is not a real son, the name wasn't enough. Allah Azza wa wanted the Prophet also to do something that they never did, which was a big taboo thing for them, okay, is that he married the ex-wife of his adopted son, right, which is something they never did. And of course, Today, yeah, if your son marries a woman and then divorces that woman, that woman is haram for you until Yom Qiyam, right? That woman, right, and everything above, like her mothers and her daughters, uh, that becomes haram for you. Uh, oh, sorry, that, that woman becomes haram for you even if your son divorced her. So, but the adopted son is not a son. So to prove that, Allah Azza wa married the Prophet ﷺ to Zainab, daughter of Jahsh. All right, time for salah. Jazakumullah khair, subhanakallahumma bihamdik. Shadu'ala ilaha illa.